Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. here today. Oh, by the way, good morning again. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I forget that not everybody listens to the full two hours. So welcome to those of you who are joining Mornings with Carmen now in the second hour on this beautiful Taste and See Tuesday. What are you making for dinner tonight? Ah, As you break bread today, may Christ be known, be made known in the breaking of the bread. If you haven't read that passage in the walk to Emmaus, mm, it's a good one. Okay. So back to my initial thought. You are going to hear today that all eyes are on Georgia, that all eyes are on Georgia's Senate runoff elections. All eyes are on Georgia. And while those elections are critical, and I recognize that, critical to the balance of power in the U.S. Senate, critical to what is going to happen uh, in our country, not only for um, the next four years, but frankly, the foreseeable future. Like, I get it. I totally get it. Um, The 117th Congress has been sworn in. Uh, The House of Representatives has adopted a rules package that is, frankly, full of ridiculousness. I will address some of that with Peter Kapsner later in the week. All eyes are going to be on Georgia uh, today. And so let our eyes be fixed on Jesus. Okay, so before we give attention to all of the uh, controversy, shenanigans, double dealings underway in the political world in which we live, let us be, as people of faith, uh, people whose eyes are fixed on Jesus. I lift up to you Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, that's a big if, by the way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The passage goes on uh, to talk about the things that we need to put to death and the things that we need to take off and put on. And so I'm going to jump down to verse 12 because I don't want our Christianity, our Christian life, our Christian discipleship, uh, the identity that we bear in the world to be a put on. Like, don't let your your Christianity be a put on today. Actually put on Christ. Picking up at verse 12 in Colossians chapter 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do in Georgia or anywhere else, that's my addition, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, if you need other passages to look at, turn to Hebrews 12, where we are encouraged to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, or turn to Matthew 14, where we learn about the power of a life when our eyes are trained on Jesus. Peter is able to walk on the water as long as his eyes are fixed on Christ. So today, today, when all of those around us have their eyes fixed on Georgia, let's not lose perspective. Let us not lose the perspective that's gained by knowing Christ and him crucified I recognize we're going to tend to the headlines of the day, but we are first going to tend to first order things, and the first order is Christ. Next up, I'm going to talk with Dr. Brett Nix from Christian Medical and Dental Association on some medical headlines. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without Christ. All right. Picking up uh, an ongoing conversation that we like to have with Dr. Brett Nix. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at Dr. Brett Nix. That's Brett with one T. CMDA.org is the website for the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Always uh, appreciate what they're posting there, particularly when it comes to helping us think through the difficult ethical decisions that we all have to make uh, in an increasingly technologically complex medical environment. So, Brett, hey, welcome back. Happy New Year. Thanks. Happy New Year, Carmen. Thanks for uh, having me this morning. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you had a wonderful time over Christmas with your family, and uh, happy to be in 2021. Indeed, indeed, to all of those things, um, and I hope the same is all true for you as well. Um, We had one of those Christmases that went on and on and on and on and on. Um, because we have so many little parts and pieces and we're trying to be very respectful of the not having everyone together at one time rule. Um, so I, by the by the fourth Christmas <clears throat> uh, that was celebrated <laughs> at our house, I was a little tired of Christmas. So I am I am one of those people who has taken Christmas down at my house, even though I know there are those of you who will be celebrating um, through Epiphany. And so uh, that's tomorrow for those of you observing the 12 days of Christmas and the 12th day. Okay, uh, so you have a website, brettnixmd.com, where you have a blog. And um, you got a couple of things there that I thought were particularly applicable to where we are at the beginning of this new year. Five daily practices to create a better tomorrow and your personal development plan in six steps. So I just would love for you to talk about incremental mm-hmm. life change. Um, and And for those of us that, you know, Maybe we looked at the scale or maybe we looked at the checkbook, um, whatever. The, the thing that we looked at where we said to ourselves, I got to make some change in this area of my life. Um, help us begin to do that. You know, it's a great thing. And, and it's funny because each year people have resolutions or at least have the practice of thinking about what am I going to do differently this year? And one of the things that I tell people is sometimes it's not so much about doing something different each year, but what are you going to do differently tomorrow? Because if you wait for the next year, sometimes you lose the momentum, you lose the perspective. And so I intentionally put these out uh, leading into the end of 2020, into 2021, really for people, and of course, as a physician myself, uh, it's many times people say, well, doctor, what would you prescribe for me? How do you help me to change? And it's funny because 
the change process has very little to do with the prescription as it does with the intention of the individual that has it. And so if you look at these, and for those who have a chance to take a look at my website, these will get into great detail if you really want to dedicate time to figure out what are the practices I can do tomorrow that will make that day much better. Uh, and so for 2021, I want to give you just a little bit of a perspective, Carmen. And really, this is kind of the three things to culminate, if you will, the prescription for 2021. And the first is one that is built into a daily practice uh, that many of us have seen biblically, uh, but maybe don't practice too well. And that's the concept of fasting. And what I want to challenge uh, our listeners to do is to find one day per week where they will fast for at minimum 16 hours. I'm not saying for a full 24 hours. That could mean you have an early dinner on uh, Friday night and you delay breakfast on Saturday until you hit 16 hours. And people say, well, shoot, I understand. I've heard about the value of this biblically. And we saw that Jesus practiced this. And when he did that, it was a time of reflection. It was a time of prayer. It was a time of meditation. But we also know that our bodies really do incredibly well with this intermittent fast. And what it does is it resets our insulin level back to a baseline level that allows our body to recalibrate. It's just like lowering your thermostat. It adjusts where your body needs to be, and it resets that process. For those that are looking at new metabolic processes, maybe you had the, the COVID-15, you put on some weight over the, over the last year or over the holidays, and you're looking at how do I reset this? Of course, it's the typical things of exercise and looking at your diet. But I really believe there's so much, not just biblically based and also in the scientific realm, that I think that's one of the first things people need to address. Okay, so intermittent fasting. There's a ton of stuff out there um, on this topic, on this subject. Can you just give us some maybe practical pointers in terms of what uh, what type, what does that mean? Let's do, Let's start there. What does intermittent fasting mean, and how do I know which variety of it or amount of time is right for me? Yeah, that's great. I mean, everybody's bodies are going to be incredibly different, and you will have some who say, oh, my goodness, I, uh, if I don't eat for a certain duration of time, I get really, really uh, uncomfortable. I feel a little jittery. Cranky, uh, hangry. Cranky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and sometimes what that is is it's not that you're hypoglycemic. It's not that your blood sugar is getting low to a threatened level, unless, of course, you're a diabetic and you're on insulin and there's things that are driving your sugars down. But for someone who does not have uh, an underlying issue of diabetes, it's really the transition point where your liver starts taking over and starts to burn the storage units, the fat that our bodies have, it has to go ahead and recalibrate and say, okay, it's no longer the calories that are in my stomach. I'm going to use what I have stored up. And it's in that transition period where people kind of feel hangry. And really, for most people, it's about a 20-minute to 30-minute window where you just don't feel so good. But then you transition and your body does what it was created to do. Now, for most, what this means is clear liquids are fine. And that doesn't mean to go and have you know caffeine all day long and dehydrate yourself. It's an opportunity to hydrate yourself to drink the water that your body needs on a daily basis. We're not talking about you know, avoiding that, but really it's just avoiding the caloric intake, the foods that you would have. You know, Go about your normal process, but what you'd end up doing is saying, hey, instead of having a Friday night snack or getting out a bowl of ice cream or something in the evening, I'm gonna forego that. And in the morning time when I get up, I'm gonna have a glass of water and I'm gonna begin with my five daily practices that create a better tomorrow uh, in that morning and spend some extra time in prayer, some extra time in meditation or exercise and then you move into your lunch, and you won't even notice a you won't even notice the fact that you've missed that meal because that 16 hour window goes very well uh, once you get accustomed to it. And again, if you do this just once per week, I'm not saying every other day, but make a routine. Pick a day of the week if you have a fairly routine schedule that allows you to settle right into that 
and you will find profound changes both in your body's capacity to adapt when maybe you are busy at work and you have a process where you have to, to sometimes miss a meal or forego certain things. Uh, you'll find that your body can adapt much, much more than you thought possible. All right. I, uh, I love this. This is great encouragement. Let's take a brief break. When we come back, Dr. Brett Nick and I are going to talk about um, some news on the medical front that many of us, you know, frankly, may have missed but should know about, and that is medical billing transparency. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Brett Nix, you can find him at brettnix, plural, md.com, brettnixmd.com. You can also find him at the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. Hey, um, Brett, before we talk about medical billing transparency, um, tell people about the Remedy Conference so we can invite everybody to be praying for this because it's coming up soon and we want, um, we want our listeners to be praying for those who are gathering. You know, the Remedy Conference is something that uh, is just a tremendous opportunity uh, for people to come together. Uh, and really, it's looking at uh, processes around the aspects where committed healthcare professionals re- really remain in the greatest need in many of our countries around the world. And uh, the opportunity when you look at the Remedy Conference is really to look at the opportunities uh, where we share the gospel with people across the globe. And you do so in a process where we, we, we share the love of God through the outreach of uh, of health uh, and of well-being, and recognizing that uh, when we look at medical missions and the remedy conferences that uh, we do both uh, regionally as well as uh, nationally, the opportunity is really for CMDA to support those that are really reaching people. Uh, you know, 90% of the world doesn't understand the healthcare and the process that we have, and it's the opportunity for us to bring not just the love of Christ through the opportunity to share uh, through medicine and through support. Uh, but really just an opportunity for people to pour in the love uh, that we have been all called to share, you know, whether that be as we talk through Micah 6, 8, um, you know, to do justly, to love kindness and mercy and to walk humbly. This is the opportunity because what we know is our love and our practice and and faithfulness draws us to that act uh, uh, of of kindness and and to do so justly. And this is a conference that supports that act, those individuals that are doing this every single day to restore them, to refresh them and to revitalize them in what they do. I love it. All right. Um, medical billing transparency. What, what do I need to know? Boy, I tell you, you know, this is a uh, this is a challenging topic because I'll tell you, it's very interesting. With, if you and I were to go to a hospital and have a surgery or have a procedure done, uh, you may be charged differently than somebody else that comes in. You could go to a hospital that may be at the other side of your town or your city and have another process that's done and still have a different bill. And there's so much complexity related to it. It may have to do with your insurance company. It may have to do with how your insurance company uh, has negotiated with that hospital. It may have to do with the fact that the doctor that you're seeing used to be in network. It may still be in your hospital, but they're part of a practice group that no longer is in network in your hospital for that insurance company. And so there's all these layers that when you walk in, it's not like you're looking at a sticker price and know what you're paying for something. Instead, there's high variability of this. And so there is a new uh, law that went into place uh, as of 2021 that really looks at you, the participant, the beneficiary, the enrollees, so sometimes those that have allowed this process to occur, the insurance companies, and those providing those services to be able to furnish the information that you need up front that says, hey, this is what you should expect uh, for out-of-pocket expenses. This is what the total cost is going to be. This is what your insurance company may pay up on the front side. Um, are you okay with that? 
And I think that most of us would say, hey, this is a really good thing. I do think that we have to be careful because what we have seen in the last handful of years is some challenges where our insurance companies have created these very narrow networks. And so what you may see within a network is one cost. If you have a preference for a physician and say, hey, this person that's outside of my network has better outcomes. I can look at this and I say, gosh, you know, for the same price, I'd much rather go to this individual if I'm having a substantial surgery, if they have better overall outcomes. Uh, and then you have to, to look closely to make sure that indeed the same coverage is there. This is just an opportunity to open that discussion. I think that there's great value in that, but the complexities of it are still fairly profound. So you could uh, you could have a doctor who's in network and you could have done all of that research. And then you find out that the anesthesiologist who you didn't meet until you got there um, was not in your network. These are some of the um, unwelcome surprises that people get from medical billing. And I think that I mean, am I right? You're absolutely right. And that's that's the biggest issue you hear about this concept of called surprise billing. And the reality for me, it's almost like surprise lack of coverage where you have insurance that should be paying for this. But all of a sudden, the insurance company says, well, since they're out of network, we're only going to pay 20% of that cost, and you're left with the rest. And the cost hasn't changed, but your coverage has, despite the fact that that coverage should have been appropriate. And so a lot of that has to do with the negotiation of the groups, the health system that you're in. And again, the question should always be, is this person, all these individuals participating in this care, are all of them in network? And if the answers are yes, you're going to be in a much better situation. All right, so that's the question. Not only is the is the person who's going to be performing the surgery in network, is everyone involved in network? That's that's kind of the question we need to begin learning to ask. Um, uh, uh, hey, before we let you you go, we got we got another minute. Um, just give us a little sense, your sense from where you are on the front line. How's the vaccine distribution going uh, where you are? Yeah, so that's a great question, Carmen. Last time we talked was about. You know, the vaccine rollout in December. And as an emergency physician, of course, I'm in the first tier. You know, I've had my first vaccine at our institution. We rolled out the Pfizer vaccine, although we participated in the, uh, uh, the Moderna study as well. Uh, but I've had my vaccine. You know, the, the, the greatest challenge is it's not just the first, the frontline individuals that want them. Anybody who's in healthcare and those that are at risk, those that are in the nursing homes, the aged that have underlying health conditions, um, you know, the, the rollout actually at our facility has been very, very good. Uh, the volumes have been incredibly high, the process of getting in and getting that done. Um, you know, one of the greatest challenges with, with the first two that have come out is that you have to keep them incredibly cold. And then when you defrost them, you have a small window of time by which you have to vaccinate large numbers of people. So you have to plan ahead to operationalize incredibly high levels of flow and give resources to make that work. If you do that, highly successful. Uh, but again, that comes with planning, that comes with insight. Uh, I would really like to see, as we continue to have lar- larger and larger volumes, the ability for this to be rolled out in a fashion, whether that be a mobile process that goes to the at-risk locations and provides those directly. Uh, right now, ours is you know medical center-based, so people are coming to the medical centers and cycling through uh, whatever operational capacity they have. Within our system, we have three different hospitals um, actively doing it within our health system, uh, and this is just one example of many. Uh, but the providers that need it, most of them have already had their first round. Of course, you wait 21 days for the second immunization. Uh, and then a couple weeks later, you're still about the time where you mount appropriate immunity. Uh, so far, so good. I had my shot. Aside from a little bit of soreness from the, the injection side, I had no side effects uh, whatsoever. Uh, and so, you know, most of my colleagues have been doing incredibly well. Uh, the COVID, obviously, from you look at the numbers, it's still around. We're still seeing it. I just came off of nights over the weekend through the New Year's. Lots of people still having you know, challenges with the illness. And what, what we're seeing is 
what we saw in 2020. Those that are at risk, those that have underlying issues, and those that are at the extreme of age uh, in the elderly population are the ones that at about day seven, day 10, really are having profound issues. Uh, many of the others just have flu-like symptoms and, and navigate it fairly well. But again, uh, what we saw before is similar to what we see now. Okay, um, Mom, if you're listening, uh, Brett had his first dose. 21 days later, he'll get his second dose. And two weeks after that, his immune system will be, like, fully robust against this. So it's not like you can just go get that first shot and then, um, you know, uh, you know, go live your best life. Like, right? I mean, there's a there's a time there's a time related to this. There is. That's and, all. And it's one I of those... just have to say that to my mom, who I know is listening and needs to know this information. Absolutely. And just let your mom know that uh, it is coming. Uh, it, it's a good thing. And the most important thing is you move into the new year. Be grateful. Take back your morning. Start that fasting. Keep active and find that sunshine. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks. We look forward to talking with you again. Blessings on the Remedy uh, Remedy Conference. That's Dr. Brett Nix. You can find him online at drbrettnix.com. We'll be right back. We have talked at length about the challenge of racism and in particular, the need for the church to find her voice, a legitimate voice in the conversation. It needs to be uh, the voice of Christ on the issue. Mike Moore is the senior pastor of Faith Chapel in Birmingham, Alabama and Columbus, Georgia. He's the founder of Mike Moore Ministries. um, And he believes that the church has fallen short of its obligation on this particular front. And so uh, he offers as a resource not only a book, but uh, a lot of free resources um, on his website as well. The book is Muted Voice, a challenge to the body of Christ to speak out against racism. And Mike Moore joins me next. We'll be right back. The scripture says, And we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is Max Licato. You know, when God found me, I was a fruitless stump with deep roots. Even so, He found a place for me. It required a good yank and no small amount of cleaning up. But He took me from badlands to His home, and He displayed me as a work of His own. Such is the work of the Holy Spirit. My friend, the Spirit of God will transform you into a handiwork of heaven and display you in full view. Now, expect to be scrubbed, sanded, and varnished a time or two or ten, but in the end, the result will be worth the discomfort, and you'll be grateful. This is Max Locato. now, Dr. Michael Moore, we are going to talk about his latest book, Muted Voice. also want to encourage you to check out his ministry resources um, online as well. Dr. Dr. Moore, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I'm excited about the opportunity to share today. How are you? Well, I I am well. I I agree with you um, that, uh, and I am also convinced that the Bible does contain the answers to the questions that we're asking in life. We just don't often turn to the Bible 
to uh, to find those answers. And that's what you're encouraging us to do uh, as we confront, face, seek to find uh, the church's voice in the national conversation about racism. Absolutely. That's what Muted Voice is about. It's a challenge to the church to speak out on what I believe to be uh, the greatest impediment and, and blockage to revival in America, and that's racism. So talk about that. When you talk about, you know, the, I mean, there we have a lot of barriers, right? There's a you know, people don't believe in in truth or, uh, you know, or they don't believe that they're sinners. These are, you know, these might be the traditional barriers that we point to as evangelical Christians. But you're pointing to a really serious uh, barrier that we would often like to ignore. And that is, uh, you know, that is a, a reality um, that's the shadow side of uh, of the public conversation. We're often having a public conversation that doesn't acknowledge this. And so to just talk about that. Well, you, you, when you when you look at the scriptures, and and the scriptures should be the basis for the a believer's uh, value system. When you look at the scriptures, the Bible says in Psalms one thirty three, it says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Mm. Then it compares this unity to all and to do, which speaks to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it speaks to productivity. And it says there in unity is the blessing of the Lord. So the Bible connects unity to the anointing and power of God, but it also connects unity to productivity uh, in Christendom. In John chapter 17, Jesus said that uh, unity was a key to the world believing that God has sent him into the earth. And so the scripture connects unity to productivity. It connects it to the anointing. It connects it to power. And I believe that racism is that impediment. I believe that it is the thing uh, that is blocking revival. Everyone is praying for revival. All Christians are praying for revival. But I believe that racism it's the thing that's blocking revival in America. Okay, so how do we remove that that roadblock, that impediment? You you talk about the two essential things that are needed today um, to d- disarm and destroy racism in the church um, and ultimately in the culture. What are those two essential things? Well, racism was established in the church through uh, two things: the tool of the Bible and legislation. So it's going to take both the legislation, which has to do with laws, which has to do with uh, processes and systems and, and institutions, but it's also going to take the truth of the scripture. The Apostle Paul says that the, that the, the, the truth, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation to those who would believe. If, if, if the thing that will break sin, and I believe that racism is a sin, it's the only thing, it's the preaching of the gospel. I mean, the full gospel, but the church right now has a muted voice. And a muted voice is a, a position of silence. It is a position of negligence. And it's a position of complicity. So I believe 
like any other sin, the only thing that will break sin is the preaching of the gospel, according to Romans one sixteen. Now, my husband likes to say, uh, until the word of God is restored to her rightful place in the life of every believer and restored to its rightful place in the life of the church, the church can't be her rightful voice in the life of the culture. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. I mean, we 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 need legislation, laws written down on paper, because we don't have the law written in our heart uh, in the right way. I mean, I I get it. I get it. There's this uh, this this complement between the creation of just legislation that would change the way uh, people experience the culture. But we also need this change of cultural mindset, as you describe it, which is what's really going on um, at the heart level, uh, at the at the level of do I extend to every person, regardless of the color of their skin, um, the same affect, right? I mean, it's at the, it's at the heart level that, you, that we really need to see change. Right. The problem with stopping at legislation, and, 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 and Carmen, that's the, the problem. The government can't fully, and the world can't fully solve the problem. Legislation is very, very important. Uh, it it dictates how we live in life, but only the gospel can change the heart, mm-hmm. and that's that's the problem. It, it, it's a heart issue. Racism is a spirit of division. It is it is a satanic attack on God's order, and the only thing that can can really change a person's heart is the gospel. I mean, it's what changed our hearts. And and so I think when we stop that legislation, even though it's very important, then we never get to the essence of the root of the matter, and that's the heart of man. Amen. All right, uh, Michael Moore and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Let me be sure that you can find uh, his ministry, MikeMooreMinistries.org. One of the tabs there is Muted Voice. If you click on that, it will take you to the website for the book, which also contains a ton of great free video resources related to this topic. So we are talking about the book, Muted Voice, a challenge to the body of Christ to speak out against racism. We'll be right back. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run to thought to still be the same. See who I was, I give him away today. Continue my conversation with Dr. Michael Moore. He's the senior pastor of Faith Chapel in Birmingham, Alabama, and Columbus, Georgia. You can find him online at mikemoreministries.org. Tons of great stuff there. Um, Dr. Moore, let's uh, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, throughout this book, Muted Voice, um, and actually throughout the seven-part uh, video series, the docu-series that you've got posted on your website um, as well, you... Um, you share a lot of personal stories as well as biblical examples, stories from history um, to to help people see um, the the blind spots, the roadblocks, and uh, you present solutions. So let's um let's go this direction. Um, how about how about you define racism for us? Because I think that we use the term frequently, and my guess is that we mean different things by it sometimes. Uh, I'm so glad you asked about that because I think ignorance of of what racism is, is a major problem to the 
a full discussion of racism. So I, I like to uh, communicate it like this, Carmen. Uh, racism is multifaceted. It is analogous to the three parts of a peach fruit. A peach fruit has three parts. It has the skin of the peach, it has the flesh of the peach, and has the seed. When you think of racism in terms of the skin of racism, it has to do with beliefs. It has to do with ideology. In other words, racism is the belief that race and skin color accounts for differences in races, differences in character, differences in intelligence, ability, civility, and even beauty, which results in partiality toward one race and prejudice against another race. But secondly, racism is beyond the individual level. Racism has to do with systems. David Wellman said that Racism is the system of advantage based off race. Systems has to do with the structures, the processes, the practices embedded in institutions that creates disparities and reproduce inequities. But then thirdly, racism has to do with power. And this is so very important. It's the seed of racism. It's power. Uh, Claude Anderson uh, said that racism is a power relationship, a struggle between groups of people competing for resources and power. So when you talk about racism, it begins with ideology, a belief, individual belief, but it's deeper. It involves systems, practices, processes, and institutions and then thirdly, you have to talk about power when you talk about uh, racism. It has to do with the competition for power. All right, I'm making notes. I'm making notes. I bet other people are making notes as well. Um, the notes are actually all uh, accounted for you in muted voice if you want to grab the book. Um, talk with us about how the church can find her voice in this conversation. Um because we got to overcome denial. That seems like the the first place. There's there's empathy involved for sure. Um, but then what comes after that? The, 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 there are three, I think there are three things that the church must do. The church must do. Because in my book, I talk about blind spots. I talk about a lack of empathy. And I talk about denial. There are three basic things that I think the church must do. The church must repent. The church has never truly repented of racism in America. Uh, we've overlooked it, but we've never really confronted it and repented. Then secondly, I think the church has to begin to listen to those who have a different racial worldview. You, you will never have empathy until you listen to other voices. And then thirdly, I believe that the church must stop politicizing Christianity. Uh, I talk about a branded form of Christianity. And when you connect Christianity to a 
to a party, a political party, then you the church moves from having a voice to being a vote. And I think that's the position, the unfortunate position that we're in in the church today is that we are a vote. We're considered a vote. Politicians want our vote, but they don't want our voice. And it's our fault, Carmen. It's our fault. We have made Christianity a political party. But Christianity transcends parties. Jesus is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not an independent. And when we politicize Christianity, we lose our voice. We've been called to be salt. We've been called to be light. But the world doesn't think of the church that way. The church wants our vote. And if you look at what's happening in America today, that's what the, that's what the world wants from us. They want our vote, but not our voice. So, Dr. Moore, when we talk about um, unmuting, there it seems to me that the world mutes the church in some ways, and it's, it's hard for us to, you know, press the unmute button when the world has muted it. But there is a, a, a muting that we've done to ourselves. There's this, you know, s- stepping back and allowing others to really be the voices that are heard in a particular conversation. How do you see uh, Christians leaning into this conversation? How how do you see, uh, I mean, I, I get that the church must repent, that um, we need to listen to uh, those who have a different racial worldview than we do, stop politicizing Christianity. Those are very, very tangible, and I get that, but they're also, um, they're really, really big. I think I'm looking for a first step that an individual listening right now can take to to unmute on this topic. Well, uh, I think uh, a problem is that we've separated ourselves from the world. For example, I uh, spoke of what Jesus talked about in Matthew uh, chapter 5. He said to the church and said to us that we are the the salt of the earth. Salt. Think about it. Think about the purpose of salt. Salt seasons, salt preserves, uh, salt adds flavor. Think about why did Jesus say we're the salt? Salt has no salt has no power in the salt shaker. Salt has to have some kind of contact with the world in order to make an impact on the world. Our problem is that we thought that holiness was separating ourselves. So we didn't engage the world. We separated ourselves from the world. We have to, we have to speak out because the, the church is what God calls the ground and the pillar of the truth. The world has facts, but only the church has the truth. And if we don't speak the truth, the world will never have the truth. Jesus also said that we're the light of the world. The world is in darkness. So if we're the light and we separate ourselves, we can never have the impact that we should have. And I think it begins with a change in our mindset, this separationism that we've uh, embraced is anti-Christianity and it's anti-kingdom. 
Yeah, and it's reflected in the separation that we experience uh, one from the other as brothers and sisters in Christ who uh, who happen who happen to have different uh, skin pigmentation. So I completely uh, concur with you. Uh, we need to we need to find the unity that uh, that we have in Christ with one another, and then we need to walk together, arm in arm, into the world that God so loves um, to demonstrate what what light and truth and love look like. Um, because the world doesn't know him because we've done a very poor job representing him. So thank you for helping us see that. I really, uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so very much for the opportunity. I I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. Absolutely. That is Dr. Michael Moore. You can find him at mikemoreministries.org. The book is Muted Voice. We'll be right back. All right, friends, have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.